1: When people talk about Jack Fenisi as a scout, Jack had the insight of being an ex-player. Jack knew football. He was so dedicated to football, he just put
0: all his energy in finding out what he could find out, who he could find, how he could help. He used his network of of friends that he had from Notre Dame and the popularity that he had really around the country. When he came to Green Bay, he just dove into it. I think talent scouts work is perhaps the most frustrating job in America, at least I think so. You spend months and days and hours working trying to gather material and sometimes
1: you'll spend many hours on one particular boy only to see the boy selected choice before yourself and all the work goes out the window. Throughout the decade he goes on to be this incredible talent scout and just digs, digs through the files and, and uncovers some of the best players to ever play for the team. Welcome into Packers Total Access.
2: I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can find us at Packernet.com, also on Twitter at Packers underscore access. And I apologize for the uh, the little bit extended, the longer audio clip there in the beginning, but I think it's really worth listening to. Um, this episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to dive into the greatest scout to ever work for the Green Bay Packers. And I believe he's going to be a scout that you have never heard of. His name isn't Rom Wolf. His name isn't Ted Thompson, right? His name isn't even Vince Lombardi, although he worked hand-in-hand with Vince Lombardi. Um, just an awesome, awesome story, and we're going to really dig deep into just who Jack Venici, uh was. That's going to be our history segment as we kick off the show. We're also going to touch on the Sammy Watkins uh, signing, and I'm going to kind of give you guys my opinion on what kind of a pickup it is. And I got a little bit of uh, fan mail from Twitter, Uh, You know, a a listener that that asked a question about a a receiving prospect, a receiver prospect, I should say, here in the draft this year. We're going to touch on him briefly. And, guys, I just want to say, any and all um, questions that you guys have, DM me on Twitter like don't hesitate if you're listening to my voice and you're saying um yeah well you probably won't even respond i here's the thing about me clayton all right i'm a fan just like you you know when i came on board with Packernet net podcast i wasn't this big qualified podcaster obviously you could be you probably already caught on in this episode here right um but it's important to understand that I'm a fan just like you. And when we get interaction like this, I have people saying, you know, in, in the DMs, they'll say, "Oh man, I'm really uh, hate to bother you." Well, you're never bothering me. Are you kidding me, dude? I'm a I'm a Packer backer just like you. I love talking football. Flood the DMs. You know, hit us up on our on our Facebook page there with PackerNet Podcasts. Ask questions. Tag me in there. Say, hey, man, what do you think about this player? What do you think about this topic? And we'll squeeze it into the show, right? That's that's what we're here for. I just really, really enjoy the interaction with fans. And uh, and I say fans, not fans of me, not fans of Packers Total Access, fans of the Green Bay Packers, because I'm right here in the trenches with you, man. I, I'm, I'm a fan just like you, and I absolutely love this stuff. So we're going to touch on that just a little bit, the receiving position, very, very briefly. I've stayed away from it. For the most part, because there are so many other podcasters providing you guys with information like that. And I always want to bring you something that maybe they they don't bring to the table. Um, Not that they're not as good as me, but it's just, you know, everybody's kind of covering one or two topics to the point of, you know, wow, we've really, really hit every angle we can. However, if you have a question... Fire away, and we'll get an answer. But what we are going to dive into, we're going to have Jacob on the line with us here shortly, and he is going to uh, help break down some edge defenders. I think it's pretty uh, pretty consensus across the board, right, that, that we all agree as Packers it would be nice to get – a, a great edge defender in this draft to kind of bolster up some depth but also be prepared to step in for Preston Smith if indeed we do hit a home run as Preston Smith uh, gets into this new contract he signed I think we all agree that that contract is going to be you know probably a two to three year deal it's not going to it's not going to live out the extent of the entire contract and he seems to be cool with that um, maybe there'll be some restructuring on the back side and he hangs around a little bit longer than I might expect him but we need an edge rusher right to, to play that backup role in case an injury does occur or just to spell Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith and then possibly step into that starting role as Preston Smith um, gets uh, on the backside of his contract. So Jacob's going to help us break down that as well. And then we, we might wrap up with any news that breaks before we get out of here. But, uh, yeah, so that's going to be the show. And first things first, we're going to dive right into the history segment. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, guys, this is one that caught me by surprise. And I think it's why I really enjoy doing these segments, is because as much as you guys have hit me up and said, "Wow, I had no idea that that was that was actually a thing or a person in 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 the Packers organization," I had no idea, I never heard those stories. The same things happening to me. I might know a little bit that kind of steers me in the direction of a story, and then once I get get dug in, I'm like, "Holy cow, I had no idea it was this deep." But what we're talking about is, in my opinion, the greatest scout to ever work for the Green Bay Packers. And that was Jack Benisi. And you heard the intro, a couple people talking about him. I could have went on for 10 minutes with people just talking about the type of person that Jack Benisi was and how detailed he was and just how good of a scout he was. But Jack Benisi was born on August twenty seventh, 1927. Okay, he was an American scout for the Green Bay Packers. He he worked with the Green Bay Packers from 1950 to 1960. And if you guys remember the 50s were brutal for the Green Bay Packers, right? And a lot of people don't understand that the talent that was acquired in the 50s is the reason they had so much success in the 60s. Everybody wants it now. Everybody wants the success now. We, we see it every day, people talking about wide receiver. We need a, we need a uh, number one wide receiver right now. We need to go out and trade for DK Metcalf. We need to do this. We need to do that. That's not how the Packers organization has ever operated, and it's the reason they've had the long, sustained you know, success. In my opinion, the reason they fell back in the 50s is because they kind of got away from what Curley did in the early days in really scouting and bringing on talent and thinking long-term rather than what do we need right here at this moment. But as far as Jack Benisi, he was an outstanding high school uh, football player. He actually played college football at the University of Notre Dame. You know, I, I grew up in Kentucky, so I'm a Kentucky Wildcat fan. But my second, kind of my 2A, my 1A or 1B team when it comes to college football is definitely the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I know that makes a lot of people mad when they're Wisconsin fans or Michigan fans or what have you that, that might be listening to this podcast. It seems like you get a lot of those, you know, Michigan, uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Ohio State Uh, you get a lot of those fans that are packer fans but the reason i like notre dame is because they had so many ties to the green bay packers it's the only reason i really started pulling for them was like wow there there's been so many coaches so many players come from notre dame to green bay it's just kind of like they're woven in history and notre dame being one of the one of the old school historic college football teams but he played college football at notre dame jack manisi did At the age of 23, he was hired by the Green Bay Packers. He was actually brought in by head coach Gene Ronzani. You may not have heard of Ronzani. He coached in the early 50s. And Gene Ronzani was, I don't know how to put this in a nice way. I don't think there is. He was a horrible head coach. One of the worst head coaches in the history of the Green Bay Packers. But he was the guy responsible for finding Jack Benisi. And if I understood correctly, they actually met over dinner at some kind of family event. And he said, hey, you know, why don't you come up and and work for us with the Packers? So Gene Ronzani actually hired him to lead the team's player personnel department. All right. Jack Venici is quoted as saying this. I want you to think think of how the Packers operate today and tell me if this sounds familiar. This is a quote by Jack Venici. I actually took it from an audio clip. It was really cool. There was an audio clip of Jack Venici being interviewed. He said, quote, we will always draft the best football players. We may end up in one draft taking three halfbacks three tackles, or two guards, but we will draft the best because we can always use good football players. Let me translate that for you. We draft best available, not by need. We're not going to jump two tiers to go get a receiver just because it looks like there's a hole there, right? We're always going to draft the best players available. Huh, Aaron Rodgers. Everybody went absolutely batty when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, when they had Brett Favre on the roster. Are you glad they did it now? Everybody went crazy when they drafted Jordan Love with Aaron Rodgers on the roster. Aaron and Jordan have a great relationship, right? Great friendship. Why are we mad that Jordan Love's on the roster? He sits for three, maybe four years, pick up a fifth-year option. He ends up being the franchise quarterback and you're off and running. I'm going to go back to the quote again. We will always draft the best football players. Not the best position, the best football players available. doesn't matter if we take three tackles, three halfbacks, two guards, We're always going to take the best football players because you can always use good football players. Let me give you an example of that. He drafted Ray Nitschke. He actually scouted and drafted Ray Nitschke. A lot of people don't know Ray Nitschke was a fullback. A lot of people thought he was going to be the next good fullback. Where did he end up having his Hall of Fame career? The middle linebacker position. Because we will always draft good football players. You always need more good football players. Okay? Now, during his time in charge of uh, Packers, uh, player personnel with the Packers, he was responsible. Listen to this stat, guys. This is so freaking awesome. Jack Benisi was responsible for drafting or acquiring eight future Pro Football Hall of Fame players. I don't think there's another general manager in the history of the NFL that was, res- or not general manager, but uh, scouting department. You know, one head scout, I guess you could say. I mean, he ran the whole player personnel department. So I guess he could be considered somewhat of a general manager, but scouting was his thing. I don't think there's another scout that can say they scouted and acquired eight pro football Hall of Famers. Jack Benisi did that. Most team owners, too, at the time, or head coaches, they would actually make their personnel decisions uh, based off of the media. They would rely really, really heavily on the media. So to give you an example, if a team was looking to fill a need, they would go to local media outlets that covered college football and say, hey, tell me who the 10 best players are for this team. And the media would give them that information. Jack Venese actually thought outside of the box. Okay? He quickly developed a large network of college coaches. He said, I'm going to bypass the media. I'm going to create a good friendship, a good working relationship with all of these college head coaches and see if they'll give me scouting information on these players that are going to be eligible for the draft. Guys, that's ingenious. At a time when it seemed like it was going to be too much work, which it was probably a lot of work, he realized, I can go to these coaches and get them to work hand-in-hand with me. The way I understood that that, that fact was that he actually paid them for that as well. I don't know 100%, but it sounds like there was some kind of... It was almost like he hired them for scouting reports. Not only on their players, but of their opponents. So he got kind of killed two birds with one stone. He would go into Alabama and go, hey, um, do you care to give me all the scouting information on the players that are leaving your team? It's not going to hurt you, obviously. You know, they're already graduating. It's not going to, like, this is a, a special ops <laughs> project to give it to your, you know, your opponents. These are players that are going to be eligible for the draft. And also, could you give me the scouting reports on the other players that you actually coached against? It's ingenious. I think it's really, really, really cool story. um He quickly, like I said, developed that that network with college coaches, getting the scouting reports. Let me give you an example of a player that he found doing that very thing. And this is kind of a more detailed story. I had to dig kind of deep to find it, but man, what a story! He actually found Bart Starr, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Green Bay Packers. Bart Starr said that Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers could run circles around him. Right? They had way more arm talent than him. Well, Bart Starr has has five world championships, to the best of my knowledge. That's that's what I grade a quarterback on. How many championships are you in? I could care less about statistics and MVPs. I want to know who's going to bring that Lombardi home to Titletown. He found Bart Starr in the seventeenth round, the two hundredth pick, because of a connection that Vinici had with a Alabama. Listen to this basketball coach. So he had. My guess is Bear Bryant, big-name coaches like that might have been a little off-limits, but he networked around some of those obstacles and found these coaches that would actually give him information. Well, this basketball coach actually told Vinici Bart Starr was a misfit, right? A misfit for Alabama's offense, and he had dealt with some injuries, but this guy, he really has it between the ears. Because of that connection, Vinici was able to find Bart Starr. Now, by the end of Vinici's career, listen to this. He had reports on over 4,000 players that filled 18 notebooks, all of which were even cross-referenced. So, for most of his career, Vinici was the, the only professional scout the Packers had on staff. I mean, you're talking about a mountain of work this man did for the organization. He, came, uh, he became well-known around... The NFL and respected, they said, for his knowledge, his commitment, and scouting abilities. Although the Packers general manager retained the ultimate authority to draft and acquire players, they said Vinici's reports and opinions were almost always followed. Over his 10-year career, like we said, guys, eight Hall of Famers that he found, recommended, and uh, is the reason they were drafted or acquired. Of those... Years of scouting, right, and those eight future Hall of Famers. They say that the greatest draft class to ever uh, be introduced to the NFL was the 1958 NFL draft class. It's considered one of the best in all of history. It actually included three Hall of Famers Jim Taylor, Ray Nitschke, and Jerry Kramer, along with one all pro player, Dan Curry. I want you to think about that, guys. Think of a draft class. Let's say the NFL draft this year. Let's say someone had a draft class and in the same exact draft class for the same exact team, they drafted three players that go on to be in the Hall of Fame. That is just insane to me. That's something that's on Jack Venici's resume. It says also that um, the Venisi Vin- convinced the Packers to select future Hall of Famer Paul Horning with the first pick of the 1957 NFL Draft and drafted Hall of Famers Jim Ringo and Forrest Gregg. Right? Benisi also signed Willie Wood as a free agent in 1960. So not only was he scouting for the NFL draft, but he was also looking around the league at these players that were, you know, either underperforming or underappreciated. He found Willie Wood, future Hall of Famer Willie Wood, in 1960 and signed him as a free agent. By the end of 1961, when the Packers won their first NFL championship since 1944, 17 of the 22 offensive and defensive starters, right? Of the 22 starters, 17 of them were acquired in some way by Vinici. Now, this is where the story gets really good. I know this one's a little long winded. Hang with me because this is really worth mentioning. The most important accomplishment of Vinici's entire career wasn't those eight Hall of Famers, he actually contributed to the behind the scenes work. In the hiring of Vince Lombardi in 1959, Venisi lobbied on Lombardi's behalf to then president Dominic Olenicek right and the board of directors of the Green Bay Packers. so he convinced them Vince Lombardi was the coach that he that they needed for the team that he had assembled all right so that's why I say I kind of look at him as a general manager obviously he was he found Willie Wood. He's drafting these players in a time before Lombardi even got there. Lombardi did have the general manager title as well as head coach. We all know that. But this is a guy behind the scenes. And you're probably thinking, okay, was it Lombardi or was it the players, right? Yeah. My my answer to that is always it's both. This is where the story gets really good. When he brung in Lombardi and he convinced Lombardi to come to the Green Bay Packers, this is what he told Lombardi. He warned him. He said, Listen to me, Vince. When you accept this job, I want you to demand full control as coach and general manager. I need you to do that because it's going to prevent interference from the board of directors. You have got to command that you have full control as coach and general manager. Imagine Vince Lombardi hearing this guy come to him and go, okay, this board of directors is going to hire me to be their head coach and general manager. And you're telling me that I need to go in... Boldly and say I want full control over everything and it's because Vinici not only was he familiar with with player talent and 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 how the Packers, you know operate in that regard, but it was also he seen how the board of directors was preventing Football operations of moving forward to great things. He knew the talent was there But you had too many chiefs and not enough Indians you had too many cooks in the kitchen you know what I'm saying? Like you had there – was, there was five or six chefs running around trying to prepare this meal, and every, everything got jumbled. And he knew that. He knew football so well that he knew – they want Lombardi mad, bad because I've built him up so much. And Lombardi obviously coaching with the New York Giants who were the top of the heap when it came to the National Football League at the time, right? But they said he, – he said, you've got to go in there and demand full control. Um, during his interview – so that's, that's exactly what Lombardi did during the interview, and he got it. Now, I'm going to tell you a quick story that I heard um, on another video that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this. They said that when Lombardi first took over, I want you to think of what I just said with what Vinici told Lombardi. They said that he was at one of his very first practices. Olenicek comes down from the stands, hands Lombardi a piece of paper, and said, here's a list of things that the board of directors said needs to be changed as soon as possible right? They said Vince Lombardi crumpled that paper up, threw it on the ground, and looked him right in the eye and said, I'll coach the GD team. Why did he approach it that way? Because of Vinici's advice, right? Lombardi actually stated to the board he would never have considered Green Bay if it were not for Venisi. With Lombardi at the helm, the Packers will go on to win five championships in seven years and over 100 games in the 1960s. Lombardi's on the record that he was told at several head coaching interviews when he would, that he would not be considered because his name ended in a vowel. This might get a little sensitive, but I think it's worth mentioning. Lombardi said that he was told at several interviews, I don't think you're going to get this job because your name, doesn't, because your name ends in a vowel, meaning he was Italian-American, right? Well, as you may have already recognized, Venisi's name ended in a vowel, in a vowel as well right? He was Italian-American. So Venisi broke that barrier in Green Bay. All right? I want you to think about that. He was able to break that barrier and an Italian-American was able to get a head coaching job, okay, in Vince Lombardi. And then we all know all the stories. If you don't know, dig deep because I'm telling you there's some great, great stories of how Vince Lombardi helped break the color barrier in the National Football League as well. Just not that there wasn't already minority players in the league, but he did it in a way where it was like, more needs to be done more or less, so he broke all of these color barriers when it came to African American players and other minorities and and the thing that's so important about that is he completely broke that false stereotype that existed when the Green Bay was mentioned. You know people say that Green Bay people didn't want to go to Green Bay they didn't want they didn't want you know minority players playing in Green Bay because it was predominantly white and this and that. The next time that somebody mentions that, think about what I'm telling you here. Venisi broke that barrier getting an Italian American in as a head coach. Vince Lombardi, all the stories about how he put pressure on local businesses to allow, you know, his black players to be able to have the same exact rights as the white ones and and you know, and all of that just garbage that came with, you know, those segregation years, right? Some of the greatest minority players to ever play for the Packers would never would never have played if it hadn't been for Lombardi. Lombardi would never have coached if it hadn't been for Jack Vanissi. Jack Vanissi would never have been a scout if it hadn't been for coach Gene Ronzani, arguably the worst head coach in the history of the Green Bay Packers. So the next time you hear someone say that Green Bay wasn't accepting to the end of segregation in professional football, tell them they might want to do a little research because I'm a firm believer that Green Bay, Wisconsin is one of the primary examples and reasons that segregation ended so quickly. When it comes to professional football, Jerry Kramer said it best to, you know, Jerry Kramer playing for Vince Lombardi and, and obviously being in the building, he was drafted by Vinici. Um He said it best in a story about a conversation he and Willie Davis had, um, uh, Jerry coming from a small town in Montana. He actually asked Willie Davis in their bunk one, one night, you know, in their dorm uh, at training camp. He said, he said, Willie, do you believe in black power? And Willie said, no, Jay, I don't believe in black power. He went, huh? Do you believe in white power? No, Jay, I don't believe in white power. And they said that he said, Jerry said, Willie, what the hell do you believe in? And Willie responded with, green power, Jay. I believe in green power. It's a pretty cool story. I think it's important to know that the reason all of these dominoes fell the way they did was because of a scout, a 23-year-old scout named Jack Venese, that no one has probably ever heard of. It's important to know the history of the Packers there are tons of stories like this under the surface. They just get swept under the rug in the midst of, of just other things. But Jack venice did not live to see the success of the teams he built uh, helped assemble though. Um, he actually died from a heart attack in 1960 at the age of 33 years old guys. So in 1960 he passed away and literally the very next year they won a championship in 1961. They won it again in 1962. They won it again in 1965. They won the very first Super Bowl in 1966. They won Super Bowl number two in 1967. Unfortunately, he didn't live to see any of that success. But you can bet your bottom dollar that dude knew the talent that he had put on the roster. And he absolutely knew the kind of head coach that Vince Lombardi was going to be. And if it weren't for him, Lord knows if that dynasty would have even happened. It's pretty cool stuff. So there's your history segment for the week. Jack Venisi, an unsung hero for the Green Bay Packers. Um, do some research on your own. Dig in. You're going to find, man, it's, a, it's one heck of a story. So appreciate you guys listening to that. Now, what we're going to do is take a, a quick commercial break, and we're going to jump into our next segment.
1: We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get ten percent off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com/slash-packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer! Ten percent off a four hundred dollars slab pack—that's forty bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com/slash-packdaddy for ten percent off your first purchase.
2: All right, guys, on the line we've got our very own Jacob from Packernet Podcast, and uh, happy Easter, man! Um, I tell you, you uh, you sent me that video the other day of the whole whole hog roasting, and uh, I'm pretty sure I gained three pounds just watching that video on loop, man. How did that turn out?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy week where I work. I work at a barbecue joint called Old Southern Barbecue in Hudson here. Uh, So we had five different pitmasters there to do a training on how to roast a whole hog. So it took basically 24 hours smoking it. Um, After that, we did a whole, uh, you know, feast for the family and friends. It was, it was awesome. It was, yeah, like you said, actually, by the way, did you get that, uh, the seasoning and the uh, sauce that I sent you?
2: I haven't yet. I our mail down here has been a little bit wacky here lately anytime anyone's mailed me anything it's taken a, a couple of days extra than i would anticipate but it should be here today dude. i am jacked about getting it and trying it out for sure and uh yeah that, that so you know with the hog roast and everything we we used to do that i had some uh, family in indianapolis or just outside of indianapolis they used to do a whole pig roast and we would go up every year for the fourth of july so when i seen that picture man it took me back to seven, eight years old, you know, the smell of stale beer in the air and a hundred people in the field eating a hog, (laughs) but good times, man. We've, we've actually got about 25 people coming over today that I'm going to be cooking for. We're doing a a seafood boil and and grilling. And man, you know how these Italian restaurants, they have the, what they call the tour of Italy with the lasagna, the spaghetti, chicken farm. Yeah. On the smoker today, I'm going to be doing what I call the tour of obesity. It's, it's Brats, loaded potato skins. This will be a good day. I'll probably be asleep by three o'clock up here in the game room, passed out. So yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Once the weather starts to turn, man, it it really it you can smell it all over the neighborhood too. I'm sure it's the same up there. But oh yeah. Uh, but anyway, man, I'm, I'm glad to have you on here, dude. We'll 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 stop killing time here talking about barbecue. Everybody's listening, probably drooling on their on their headsets. But <laughs> we're gonna kind of cover some edge defenders. You know, that's been the position I feel like uh, has kind of popped up. Uh, as as a third need outside of offensive line and wide receiver. I personally think edge defender kind of goes behind safety and linebacker. However, if you can land a premier uh, edge defender, at least one that might be a tier above where you're picking or, or right on the, the current tier might be the best player available. I think that could be a huge, huge pickup and pretty sure you agree with me. So um, what we're going to do guys is we're going to kind of look into some of the edge defenders real quick that are outside of those top tiers. And when I say outside of those top tiers, this first guy actually falls in my second tier. But many times mock draft simulations have allowed Boye Mafe to fall to the Packers. And I'm telling you right now, if he's the best on the board and he's sitting there when we pick at 22, if indeed we don't trade up, I'm all about taking Boye Mafe. So Timmy, um, before we get into Boye Mafe, you've got David Ajabo, right? That's yep. That you kind of feel like is your top pick as far as edge defenders. Um, you know, outside of that that top tier of, of Trayvon Walker and, and obviously Hutchinson and Thibodeau. How do you feel about David Ajava?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting when you mentioned uh, edge, the position edge being kind of a need. I think that's one that people really haven't considered uh, in the first round because people are really focused on wide receiver, they're focused on O line, like you said, maybe even safety. But Ajabo just makes sense, and actually, I think it was after listening to either one of your podcasts or maybe a, we were talking back and forth in the Discord chat. But Ajabo just all of a sudden it, it slapped me in the face, and I was like, "This is a Goody pick in the first round because nobody's <laughs> expecting him. He's hurt, you know. People are thinking you know he might have a scratch his first year. He really won't be used that much. Well, okay, that kind of makes sense if you think about where Goody, if he really was projected as a top fifteen player, which is what they were saying before he tore his Achilles at his pro day they were saying that he may have the highest ceiling of any edge defender in this draft well the way that Goody's mind thinks is if he falls to 22 maybe even 28 there's even people saying that because of that injury that he could maybe fall into the early second round so I mean that just sounds like a Goody pick you match that with the fact that he's a Michigan guy you know I don't think he ever played with Gary on the same team but you know Gary is a proud Michigan dude he wants to represent Michigan he's very you know proud of his, his roots and so I think that he would take him under his wing the fact that he has Gary and Preston two established starters that really we don't need a job to come in and you know contribute right away so maybe he takes half that first year and he's just getting back to being healthy he then he then gets some mentorship from a job uh, from, from Gary and from Preston and I don't know it just seems it seems like a guy nobody's talking about he's very very skilled It'd be a steal if we got him especially at 28 or even somehow if he were to fall into the second round and we were to maybe do some sort of trade backs or trade ups or whatever the case is i just think that he's one of those guys that um he's he's a bundle of talent again he's not that proven he's only got i believe yeah 523 snaps was at the outside tackle position this last year but on 2020 he had 26 total snaps that's it so the guy's very raw he's from nigeria then moved to Scotland, then moved to the United States when I think he was seven. He only started playing football when he was uh, in 2017. That's the first time the guys played football in his career. So um, to to think that he's this good, this quick, he's just a ball of talent. And I mean, who does that sound like? That sounds like Rashawn Gary. He was a bunch of talent, the crazy RAS athletic freak, but nobody really trusted him. He didn't have the stats in college. You know what I mean? So to me, this just kind of makes sense. Um, Again, they got him listed as a... If he's not hurt, he's a top. Some people had him a top ten pick, so who knows?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's exactly what the consensus big board shows here. He's currently at thirty-two, so it's looking like he might be slipping into the early second round. He could go a lot sooner, but he peaked at number eight, which is exactly what you were talking about. I heard Greg Cosell telling that same story the other day about Ojabo being from Nigeria, but then moving to Scotland. And I'm like, what? Is there any place on the globe, <laughs> right? And
0: he was a big soccer guy that was his thing he was really into soccer i believe and then could you
2: imagine being that size yeah right insane and you know it's one thing that i I like to dig into when it comes to prospects is how do they work with others and when you talk about being born in nigeria going to scotland and then coming to the states it's like that's someone who's obviously embraced every situation he's been a part of as far as society goes i think that's important too i mean it's a flaw and uh Yeah, I would be jacked, and I got a little bit crossed up on the intro. It's funny. I see names like Ojabo and Mafé, and I'm from part of the country where people are named Earl, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Earl Smith, you know? But but anyway, uh, yeah, with with Ojabo, man, if he – you know, currently he's sitting on my board at number 17. That's where I've got him at, which is right in the middle of that 8 and 32, you know, on the consensus big board. If he's sitting there at 22, this is where people differ with me. If a same tier wide receiver is sitting there, then I might lean toward the receiver or the offensive line because those are direct needs, but Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't take Traylon Burks over Ojabo, you know, the wide receiver Burks, I wouldn't, because he's one tier down and I'm uh, an edge rusher.
0: I agree, yeah.
2: Important. Earlier in this episode, I was actually talking about Preston Smith, and Preston Smith played lights out last last year. And you know, Ryan has done an excellent job covering it in the past, talking about how Preston Smith performed really well in a contract year. Not to put him down, not to say he's not going to come and ball out this year, but. You know, you don't have that added motivated motivation factor when it comes to a contract year with Preston Smith, and we all know he's getting a little bit older. So in two years, if Ojab- Ojabo got a chance to do exactly what Rashawn Gary did coming off the bench and kind of working his way in, and Ryan's seen it, we all seen it early on when he got to Green Bay, the PFF numbers were showing Rashawn Gary is actually effective. Um, just you wasn't getting those big, big stats and those highlight real plays because he wasn't in as often with Z and, and Preston being on the outside. But I'm with you, dude. Ojabo really, really grabs my attention. Um I like that that pick there. But uh yeah, so at number two, we've got the other guy I mentioned, which is actually the next one in line on my big board, and that's Boye Mafe. I've actually got him sitting in the 36th slot and on the consensus big board. He's sitting at 33, and that's where he peaked. So it seems like Boye Mafé's stock is as high as it's ever been at the current moment. Tell me what you think about Boye Mafé out of Minnesota.
0: Yeah, Boye Mafé, so 6'4", 261. He's got the RAS of 9.91, and I don't know if I breezed over it, but Ajabo also is a guy that uh, he's got the 9.4 RAS. So again, that's just some of the measurables that we kind of look for. Again yeah 9.91 for the RAS for Maffe. He's 23.3 years of age so you know a little bit older. He's got a 45340 so again the guy's quick, he's strong, he's uh when you look at him he doesn't I mean he holds that weight more like a like a Olympian, you know what I mean? Like a WWE wrestler or something. He just <laughs> right. looks like a solid guy. Um they say his explosion I've I've listened to a couple different people talk about how they've never seen somebody explode off the line like he does. He seems to beat tackles to their point um so you know he's just another impressive specimen again he's got he's shown that progression 2019 has a 77.2 grade 2020 takes a small step back and he goes to 71.0 2021 though he jumps up and he has an 81.2 overall grade um and he had an 83.1 pass rush grade and then a 70.3 run defense grade so he's pretty well balanced but again he's kind of more of that pass rush specialist um Again, he's got the amazing burst. They were talking about how he just, like a track star kind of guy, where he gets down in that stance and he can just, he's one of those guys that if he can beat the snap count, remember how like, uh, who was it, like Paul Amalu, and even like uh, Clay Matthews, they just seem to like get an intuition of when the snap was, and they can just beat people off the line. That's kind of his deal. Um, he's got violent hands. He possesses the, the accurate snap anticipation, so he can beat the blockers off the edge. He has a constant motor. He's never taken snaps off. Um, some of his knocks against him he has trouble against the run he's not the biggest guy so he doesn't have uh, enough kind of you know run defender mentality so he hasn't learned how to set the edge yet he's got a little bit of a stiff hip movement through him so that can all kind of be coached out I think Um, he's projected as a second rounder I think but you know it, it kind of depends on how the beginning of the draft unfolds and how you know the pieces fall but I could see him Second, maybe sneaking into the third if, if people are not really confident about his his run defense, but I like the guy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you talk about these guys will they really be available or not. How far are they going to slip? I think the two positions you really want to key in on as a Packers fan in that first round is you want as many quarterbacks to go and you want yeah. cornerbacks to go. So I want Stingley, Gardner, and McDuffie off the board before we pick. I want us to pick it in either whether it's Howell or or Corral, whoever. um, I want three quarterbacks and three corners off the board before we get there. And I think we're going to have a great pool to pick from, man. Um, Speaking of that, you know, coming up next, we're going to kind of cover Nick Benito. Nick Benito out of Oklahoma. Um, You know, I've got him sitting in the five tier with two other players. But he is one of those guys that's grabbed my attention multiple times when watching highlights and things. The, yep. Since this big board has him at number sixty-one, he peaked at thirty-four, and again I have him sitting in the forty-six spot, which is kind of in the middle. So tell me what you think about Nick Benito.
0: Yep, Nick Benito, Edge, Oklahoma. This is going to be probably my my draft crush of the edge rushers. I know I had. Uh other draft crushes but this is yeah the guy like you said when you watch him on film it's (laughs) he's just a flash flashing all around he's 6'3 248 ras of 9.35 he's 22.5 years of age he's got a four point five four forty um they the biggest thing that they categorize as a one trick pony but that one trick is he's a dominant speed rusher um he's he's quick he's real quick he was a four-star recruit from 247 sports under armor said he was the all-american he's the 197th ranked overall recruit by espn um, the guy was so highly touted that he was able to choose between going to oklahoma over alabama auburn and ohio state so people wanted him you know one trick pony while well, they wanted it so um quick note he had multiple pressures in every single game over the past two seasons and he has actually been the most productive pass rusher on a per-snap basis over the last two seasons. He had a 93.6 pass rushing grade in 2020. This last year had a 92.5 pass rush grade. Um, that was ninth out of 824 edge defenders. So, I mean, the dude has serious pass rush uh, ability. Um, he had a 92.6 pass rush grade, like I said, but the 73.7 run defense grade, you know, it's not horrible, but the pass rush win rate was 29% last year. I mean, that's Holy cow, 29? pretty insane. And I mean, the guy, he reminds me again of like a Clay Matthews. People said kind of about that, about Clay Matthews. He was more of like a, he's only an edge guy. He can only rush the pasture. And we saw him, you know, grow into being a very complete linebacker over the years. He even ended up playing middle linebacker. Um, the snaps by alignment for him on 2020, uh, 2021, he did no snaps at A gap, one snap at B gap, only three over the tackle, and then 506 outside of the tackle. So he basically is a straight edge guy. Um they're talking about how he's got, you know, top athletic skills. He has excellent natural pass rushing skills, uh, great speed. He's got long arms, all that kind of stuff. But again, he's a little bit undersized. They don't think he can set edges. He's not great to disrupt the run game. Uh, bigger NFL lineman might be able to manhandle this guy in the, in the right situation. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's a third down rush specialist kind of dude, but I again if that's a guy that's getting drafted by the Packers he's behind Gary he's behind Preston he's if it's a third and long you throw him in there and just pin his ears back and just let him go and I think that'd be awesome he is the most mocked to the Green Bay Packers followed by the Vikings and Chiefs so interesting they got him slated as maybe a late second maybe early third depending on how everything falls
2: Nice, yeah, and and I've got Benito sitting in the forty six spot on my big board, and uh, it's cool because there's two other players in that same tier. I've got them in tier five, one tier down from Mafe, and uh, you know there could be a run on, on edge defenders right there, or they could drop. And if the if indeed they do drop, that might be some somebody that we target at uh, at the fifty three or the fifty nine spot if there's no trades involved. That's a uh, you know taking into consideration that maybe we did land one of our top receivers. And an offensive lineman we like there with uh, 22 and 28. That would set up really nicely for Benito to fall in their lap at either 53 or 59. So that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, on to the next one, we've got Cameron Thomas out of, I believe, is it, uh, what, what college is he out of? Is it San Diego State? Is-
0: yep, SDSU.
2: Yep. Okay, SDSU, great. Um, so we've got Cameron Thomas. I have him sitting in the 54 spot. He's in tier seven. That's uh, two tiers below where Benito was. And um looks like the consensus big board has uh, Cameron Thomas sitting at number 64. He peaked at 47, so um, that's kind of where he sits right in between there. Um, like I said, on my big board, tell me what you think of uh, of Cameron Thomas out of San Diego State.
0: Yeah, so 6'4", uh, 267, I think that may be a little bit underselling, and he seems like more of a bigger guy than that, maybe 2 280 um no ras on him so it's a little bit unknown but it, just watching his tape he seems like a fairly athletic guy um 22.3 years of age he's got a 478 40 time. so again for being 6'4, 270 maybe 280 that's pretty quick he's got a lot of really impressive tools already kind of in his in his showcase he's got a really good bull, uh, bull rush great swim move he's got the double swipe and rip move he uses his hands extremely extremely well he was a three-star recruit from 247 sports and a two-star recruit from rivals um, he refused offers from oregon state wyoming and navy to go ahead and join san diego state he while not really showing much progression he's just been solid constant over the three years he started as a 84.8 edge 81.4 the next year in 2020 and then this last year it was a 89.4 so he never really you know, he's just been solid, constant production over the last three years. Um, again, the pass rush grade was 89.3, run defense grade this last year was 86.8. And he he he's played, you know, with a lower level of competition, but he excelled. When they talk about um, playing with, you know, again, kind of a smaller schools, that kind of stuff, lower competition. I know you've talked about really not being, having that sway much of your opinion of him. And I think that's, that's, that's a good point because it talks about how he faced multiple double teams triple teams because people knew that this is the guy you got to take care of being used from a small school and he's still at sometimes they said he was unblockable so he's got elite hand speed and equally impressive separating from offensive tackles impressive spin moves he's got like i said even a more dominating bull rush um, he's a very good athlete but he's not as quick twitch type of guys you, you maybe want from an elite speed rusher Um, He he tends to burn himself out sometimes during the games. He can sometimes be visibly tired in the fourth quarter, which can kind of, you know, worry a little bit about that. But I think, again, that can be coached. That can be maybe just conditioning, whatever the case is there. Um, One thing that I thought was super interesting is uh, this quote from Draft Buzz. They said, Cameron Thomas is rocketing up draft boards at the moment, and with good reason. He's an athletic freak with an incredible set of pass rushing skills that terrifies offensive linemen this is the part he says he has no major weaknesses to his game that can't be worked out and therefore we are very high on his ceiling is at an all pro pro bowl level with his floor being a solid starter to us he looks bust proof so to wow. me that's bust proof <laughs> like if you if they're willing to put their name out there and say that and say that his ceiling is an all pro pro bowler and his floor his absolute floor is he's a starter i mean that to me is a no-brainer that you want to take a stab at him Um, they say he can go anywhere from the second to the mid fourth so
2: yeah, kind of all over the place. And we yeah. talk about when you talk about using his hands and these multiple moves, typically when someone's drafted, what do people say? Well, he's just got to, he's got to add another tool to his belt. He's got to add another tool to his belt. Sounds like this guy's coming in somewhat equipped. And when you talk about using the hands, the first thing I thought of was Clay Matthews. The way yeah. Clay Matthews would hammer, use that hammer move where he would hammer the hands down, get the hands off of them, then take the edge. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. So that's going to be exciting, man. The, the cool thing about talking about these prospects. Yes, we want the Packers to draft some of these guys so we can be excited about what we've already learned about them, but also just watching their career. As long as they're not in the NFC North, it's going to be <laughs> see how these guys pan out. If they're in the NFC North, I want them to fall on their face and snap. But that's- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on to our final prospect here. That's Josh Paschal out of Kentucky, and, and you guys know I'm a Kentucky Wildcat fan. Um, the thing about Kentucky, you know, when you look at Randall Cobb and other players, that have been, uh, you know, that's played for the Packers. You know, you Darius, what, people would say, okay, they don't really have Kentucky as a pop line, but, you know, because they signed Zadarius in free agency. But what you've got to understand is a lot of times when these free agents are signed, what it tells me is they had him high on their board. It didn't work out yeah. With, yeah. have a shot of drafting him, but they go back. That's how they look at free agency. They're not looking at free agency like us casual fans and go, why are we not going after Julio Jones? Or why aren't we going after this guy? They go back to their draft information, their scouting information, and go, okay, how high was he on our board? I guarantee you, Jacob, that's what's happened with Sammy Watkins. I'm not expecting Sammy Watkins to come out and light the world on fire. But what it tells me is, out of the available free agents, I guarantee you, the Packers organization had him somewhat high on that board. And you may be saying, okay, Well, Brian Gudekins wasn't the general manager then. No, but he's been a scout since he was what seems like seven years old for the Green Bay Packers. But you can bet he agreed with the evaluation of Sammy Watkins. I mention that because there's somewhat of a little bit of a pipeline going on there with the Kentucky Wildcats. Josh Paschal obviously playing with the Wildcats. He's peaked, or right now he's at 99 on the consensus big board. He peaked at number 68. On my board, I have him currently sitting at 71. So he's in Tier 9. That is uh, down from Cameron Thomas. So tell me what you think about uh, Josh Pascal out of Kentucky.
0: Yeah, so first off, this is a shout out to obviously you representing Kentucky, but then Goose. Goose is the guy that um, kind of turned me on to Josh Pascal because I I saw the name, I saw the stats and all that, and I for whatever reason, I just I, I didn't look much into him. And then diving a little bit deeper, when I was getting this list ready, I, I decided I'm going to look him up, let's start watching film, and wow, I really, really do think he's impressive. He's 6'4", 270. Again, that maybe is light. I hear announcers back throughout the last season saying he's 280 easy. RAS a 9.7. He's only 22.3 years of age. He's got a four seven seven forty time. Again, at 6'4", 280. That's insane. Um, highly recruited out of high school. He put up impressive numbers at the pre-recruiting college combine. He ran a 475 at that point. Um, he had a top rated spark score of 120.24. He has a vertical jump of 39 inches. Um, he opted out of joining alabama and ohio state for kentucky again he's got the progression 2019 74.7 2020 77.2 this last year jumps up to a 90 flat grade i mean the guy was a beast uh pass rush grade 81.2 this last year run defense grade of 90.2 i always started watching the film of this dude and again this guy looks like a pro wrestler he's just he's ripped i mean just ripped he looks like you couldn't push this guy over. If you, you know, you give me a million dollars, I couldn't do it. And uh, it was interesting because he, he wears number four as the D lineman. So you're trying to track this guy. I'm watching him and each highlight clip or each, you know, different frame, I cannot find the guy. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Well, here, I look at his snaps by alignment. He played 23 snaps in a gap, 87 snaps in B gap, 280 snaps over the tackle, 252 snaps outside of the tackle. He played four snaps off the ball. I mean, he was everywhere. They move him all over the place and just his again his burst his balance he just rips people apart and when they when when ball carriers hit him they do not fall forward they go backwards it's just um again and it seems like he's an ideal fit for a 3-4-d end but he has played pretty much every position across that line um easily gains inside leverage by shooting in gaps he plays with a non-stop motor the knocks on this guy is they're going to say he lacks elite speed to flatten the corner. But I mean, again, for being that big and that large, I think that he has game speed that maybe surpasses some of the measurables that they, they got on him. They say that he lacks elite bend. But again, I, I watched his, his tape and he has the, the the ability to do it. So if he can get coached, I think that that would be a dream scenario. If somebody that can maybe play edge that can maybe kick inside on third down. So you could have him, Preston and Gary on the same line with maybe you know mm. Clark in there I mean that would be insane so yeah. they've got him projected a third round I would I again I didn't know much about him didn't like him much didn't really care to look him up but after watching him I would be jacked if we got this guy he just seems like a straight football player I mean he's just it's fun to watch
2: yeah and to me it looks like it's great value from anywhere from pick 68 to 99 and when you talk about how he moved around on the line the first thing that came to my mind was the Darius Smith and how they used him in the Yeah, exactly and uh yeah and lo and behold out of Kentucky it's uh yeah that's one I'm with you when Goose mentioned him I I literally had a message typed out and I deleted it on this on the discord app (laughs) they know I'm a Kentucky fan this is going to look like fanboy stuff I'm not going to jump into the conversation but I was I was literally fist pumping (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Go on. laughs> finally somebody else is seeing josh pascal more than me so that's good stuff um as we wrap up here i do just want to honorably mention one more guy and the reason being is because he did have a visit with the green bay packers he's quite a bit lower on the board and i just want to kind of mention him as i as i you know sign off here with you but that's a uh, sam williams out of mississippi um, he's an edge defender obviously he has he's currently sitting at 91 he peaked at 77 i thought it was worth mentioning that that he did uh, visit with the Green Bay Packers. So to the best of my knowledge, and I haven't updated you know my visit board yet. I've got a board separate that shows all the, the players that have actually visited and interviewed with the Packers. He's the only edge defender that I know of that actually uh visited. I know they had the big defensive lineman Wyatt in here, yep. and then it came out today that I, I believe it was today that Winfrey has also visited, but obviously with the edge, looks like they've got their eyes on Sam Williams. So Jacob, dude good stuff man I can't thank you enough it's always a blast talking talking football talking prospects with you and uh appreciate your time man yes sir happy Easter yeah happy Easter bro. All right, great stuff there with Jacob. Appreciate his time, and he always does just a, an awesome job diving into some of these prospects with the draft. But now I'm going to touch on a uh, a message I got on Twitter from uh, a guy named Jacob Wood on Twitter, right? He said, what's up, Clayton? Big fan of the show. I like the history parts. I used to watch the Ice Bowl movie with Steve Sable put together in 2003 a ton. Um, quick player question. My favorite player in this draft, bar none, is David Bell from Purdue. First team All-American, second place in the Bolitnikov uh, Award voting, been productive since day one at Purdue, amazing hands. He's slipping to second or third round because he ran a slow 40 time. Interviews well after games too, has a great knowledge of, of talking and communicating with people. Let me know your thoughts if you get a chance. Take care. All right, first of all, Jacob, thanks for listening to the show, dude appreciate the feedback. Uh, it, it means the world to us and we're, we're, we're just trying to get better every week. I know it's a cliche but um, it's one we're going to continue to use because we've never arrived but I really appreciate you listening. So let's dive into the prospect he's talking to really really quick and that is Purdue's David Bell. So Jacob to answer your question about David Bell. David Bell currently sits at the consensus big board at number 70. He peaked at 38, so my guess is the reason he dropped from 38 to 70 is that 40-yard dash time that you were talking about. I'm going to slide over to my big board, okay? On my big board, I actually have David Bell ranked 77th on my big board, okay? So falling kind of a little bit further than that consensus big board. So that kind of puts him in that range we talked about. Um, As far as his hands, here... Here's the thing about 40-yard dashes. They don't mean everything, guys. To me, it matters when it prevents them from performing at a certain level, right? And it all comes down to production you can look at the tape and see if a guy's fast enough to play at the next level right it's kind of you kind of seen that with burks i think you're seeing that with kyle hamilton when he run the 4740 people like to forget about the faster 40 he ran right and the 4740 when i put on the tape it's like no speed is not an issue and covering ground is not an issue for kyle hamilton the same thing goes with receivers what does his production look like and when it comes to josh bell his production He had his his career game was 11 catches for 240 yards against Iowa in 2021 and a touchdown in that game. He also had an 11-catch, 217-yard game with one touchdown against Michigan State in 2021. The thing that kind of stands out to me when it comes to David Bell is how he jumped from 2020 to 2021 as far as PFF grade. But as it sits right now, I think that The scouting report on him is exactly what it says it is. He's a guy that's got great ball skills, right? He's got a ton of production when it comes to the college game. His speed is going to make him fall in the draft. However, what I've preached on this show is sometimes those guys that fall to the second, third, and even fourth round, they have that extra motivation to put in the work like Tay did to be a great football player at the next level. So that's where I've got him again just to wrap it up here, uh, Jacob. I've got David Bell in the 77th spot um, is where I rank him in my top 100. All right, so the big news this week was obviously the signing of Sammy Watkins. Um, I think this is just a real simple signing. It's depth. Um, It's a guy who, yes, he can be a starting receiver. I do believe that. Um, You know, He has graded out well in the past. However, the last several years, he's not performed. I'm not gonna bore you with this huge profile of Sammy Watkins. You've already heard that a ton, I'm sure. Here's just my take on the Sammy Watkins signing. $4 $4 million a year, you've got a guy who has starter experience. He's not nowhere near beyond his prime. It's a one-year deal. You're going to get that motivation of a one-year deal that knowing this guy is going to want to perform, he's going to want to be able to play to uh, up to a certain level to where he can get another contract next year, whether it's with the Packers or to hit free agency, make a little bit more money and extend his, his career. So you're going to get the best of Sammy Watkins, much like we talked about on Twitter with Darnell Savage this year uh, being kind of a contract year um, if the Packers uh, you know, don't decide to pick up his fifth-year option. You're kind of playing for your career. You're playing for your football life, right? I think that's what's going on here with Sammy Watkins. The dude has always been loved everywhere he's went. He's going to be a great locker room guy. I think that Aaron Rodgers will pull the best out of him. I really, really do. Um, you know, he's played for uh big name quarterbacks like Pat Mahomes he also played for uh, Lamar Jackson although Lamar Jackson is a little bit different beast with with the way that offense is geared around the run for the most part um so i think that he's going to be a guy that can line up outside whether it's you know in the x or the z and he's going to be able to uh just to kind of kind of be a solid receiver you know what i think would be a good year for Sammy Watkins is a 600 yard season You know, a guy, like I said, that provides depth on the outside because that's really what we're lacking right now. We're obviously lacking um, big, big body receivers, which I would kind of consider Sammy that he's 6'1", 2'11". He's got 4'4 speed. Um, The guy was not worth the selection as the number four pick in the draft, but that kind of tells you what he's capable of doing. And uh, I think his attitude goes a long way with that. You know, when you draft that high in the draft, you want guys that are slam dunks, and they looked at Sammy like this is this is a wide receiver that's not going to be a diva. He's not going to cause problems, um, but I think you line him up opposite Alan Lazard on the outside. You've got Cobb and Amari Rogers in the middle that's going to play the slot, so you've got plenty of depth there. What the Packers are doing, in my opinion, what Brian Gutekunst is doing here is he's kind of filling the roster out. I think they're still looking to make a big splash in the draft with a wide receiver, whether it's them trading up to take one early in the first round or trading back and take multiple swings there in the second, which I'm the bigger fan of. But I think Sammy Watkins is a good signing. This is what we talked about a month ago when everybody was going, why aren't they doing something? Why aren't they doing something? Guys, Gutekinds, this is what he does. This is how you get a Devondre Campbell. This is how you get a Russell Douglas. You don't go after those... Um, those huge players where you're going to pay top dollar for them, right? Ryan done a great job talking about that the other day, in my opinion, was the league has completely lost their mind overpaying receivers right now. There's no reason to overpay. There's still plenty of talent out there. Have you noticed that you know, you've know you got receivers that are still sitting there that are big names like a Julio Jones? And when I say a big name like Julio Jones, he's not the Julio Jones that he used to be. But he can still be a solid wide receiver for a team. But the Packers aren't going to overpay. The longer those guys sit there, the more of an advantage the Packers have because you can land a player like Sammy Watkins. My guess is Sammy Watkins was in their top five of potential signings as far as free agent wide receivers. So again, you've got one more piece to the puzzle kind of in place, not this, absolute superstar at wide receiver, but you're filling out that roster, I think is someone who can contribute at a certain level. It's going to be really fun to see how the draft falls, but that's the show, guys. Appreciate you coming and hanging out with me. I want to say to each and every one of you and your families, happy Easter, happy holiday, whatever it is you celebrate, Um, and we appreciate your time tuning in. We'll get this out as, as just as soon as we can. I know Ryan's dealing with some uh, some family stuff as well. As far as I'm sure they're up there grilling out and all that good stuff and just uh, enjoying their time with their family. But we all know um, how committed he is to uh, to getting content out to you guys, and it's uh, one of the many reasons I'm proud to be on board with Packernet Podcast. So as always, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world, and go pack, go. Thursday,